Good morning, church. How are we today? Awesome. How are we today? Good, good. Who's joyful in the house today? Who's happy to be in the house of God? Come on, guys, you're half asleep oh. still. Who's happy to be in the house of God this morning? That's better. Thank you very much. If you guys are in the foyer, if you want to start coming through, we're going to start our gathering um, now. But just before we start, I just wanted to share some some of the Word of God with you this morning. So this is from the Psalmist David out of Psalms 28 verse 7. And it says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. My heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. I'm gonna read that last part again. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Now another verse that you may be familiar with is Philippians 4.4. Again, be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And so this morning, I just want to declare over our gathering that we're going to be full of joy this morning. We're going to be full of thanksgiving this morning because God is a good God and He is worthy of it. And just before we start, I was just sharing with Caleb on stage here last night um, about a time that I went to South Africa with my wife, probably uh, four or five years ago. And when we were there, we went to a settlement called Langa um, in Cape Town. And so a settlement is basically a whole lot of shacks. It's, um, it's just people living in tin houses. And uh, in fact, one settlement in South Africa we went to, Kaya Lecha, 1.2 million people live in that settlement. But Langa, we went for a tour through it and we ended up going to a Baptist church on the Sunday. Um, and it was unbelievable. I couldn't understand any of the language. It was in their native, but they had a time of testimony. And I'm, I'm a, I reckon there was probably about 15 people lined on the side of the stage, all coming up, grabbing the microphone and just testifying to God's goodness. And the thankfulness, the joy in their hearts that they were expressing was just unbelievable. I couldn't understand a word, but I sure did feel it in my spirit. And I just wanted to clear that we can trust our God. You know, if there's things that we're struggling with, if, if, if you know, we live in a world where so many people are full of, um, you know, so many people suffer from depression and, and negativity, things that are just really tough in their lives. But I really believe that God today wants us to put our trust in Him and experience joy. So before we start, I'd like you to jump up and can you just talk to the person beside you and just share three things that you're thankful for and joyful about this morning. Three things. So you're sharing three things that you're thankful and joyful about to the person beside you. Okay, now swap and talk to the other person and share three things that you are thankful about and joyful about on this beautiful 
Sunday morning. Awesome. Now who's ready to just praise our God and worship our God with that joy and that thankfulness that we've just spoken about. So God, Lord, we just worship You in this place today. Lord, we come to You with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. We thank You for everything that You've done for us. We thank You for who You are. Lord, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You Thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for the gift of life. Jesus, we thank You that You died on the cross for us us, and You made a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. We thank You, God, and we come to You now with thankfulness and joy in our hearts and in our spirits. And Lord, we're gonna have fun in the house of God together. Amen. We surrender. We surrender all to You. What you want to do, what you want to God, we long to see you move. Do what you want to do, what sing it up. We surrender all to you. Do what you want to do, what you want to do. So. God, we love to see you move. Do what you want to do, what you want to do. Do what you want to do. 
Come on, sing it out, church. Sing like never. Come on, one more time. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never.
to this place and we welcome your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence that's here. Holy Spirit, have your way in this gathering this morning. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to each of us. And Lord, we pray that you'd be honoured and you would be glorified through our meeting together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Awesome. Well, welcome to Activate Church. Great to have you guys here today. Who's having fun already? Yes. Very, very cool. You can take your seat. And I just want to express a warm welcome to you. If you don't know who I am, my name's Caleb, and I have the um, privilege of uh, being on staff here with Activate Church. It's um, a great team to work with, um, so it's really cool. Have we got any new people here today? If you just want to slip up your hand, I'd love to uh, express a warm welcome to you. Welcome, welcome. Great to have you guys in our church this morning. Let's give them a, a warm welcome. So if you are new to Activate today, we do have some gift bags for you at the right-hand side of the auditorium rear doors as you exit. So just make sure you go and um, have a chat to someone, one of our staff. We'd be um, happy to, yeah, to chat with you, give you a little bit of information about our church and try to connect with you as, as much as possible. So thank you for coming to Activate. Wonderful to have you here this morning. And I can see Graham and Michelle um, up the back there. Welcome from Ireland. They're visiting um, for about a month or just over. Yeah. So welcome. Good to have you guys here. And I'm just looking out to see if I can see the heights here this morning. I don't know if they're here. No. Peter and Melina Height got married in the summer and I thought that he might be back uh, this Sunday, but uh, that's all cool. So we're going to do birthdays and wedding anniversaries. Um, so if you've had a birthday or a wedding anniversary in the last couple of weeks, if you want to jump up and come out the front, and I believe Trevor and Margaret have celebrated 50 years of marriage. That is absolutely amazing. So if you've had a birthday or wedding anniversary, come out to the front. We've got some chocolates here for you. Wow, 22 years. Wedding anniversary, John and Sue. How many years? Pardon? 33 years, congratulations. Jason and Kat, wedding anniversary. How many years? 17 years, congratulations. Must be a nice time to get married, January. We have lots of anniversaries, so that's very cool. Excellent, and I had a birthday actually, I haven't had one too. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, right? I'll be part of this blessing this morning. So church, if you want to jump up and we're going to pray this blessing over these people gathered up the front. All right, so stretch out your hand. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness for each one. In Jesus' name, Amen. Bless you guys. Excellent. It's cool to have fun and cool to celebrate with people. So just a few highlights for you to bring you up to speed. So Pastor Jan and Sheridan are still on leave at the moment. So I'm not sure where they are at the moment, but I know they've been to um, 
they've been to Kinloch and they've been on the boat and having an awesome time. So they're back on the 31st um, and we'll be back with us the first weekend of February. Um, so just over the next few weeks, we're just having a 10 a.m. combined gathering until the second week of February. Everyone say second week of February. So that's when we move back to 9, 10.30 and 6 p.m. gatherings. Um, and children, I see there's a few children have already spotted it, but we've got colouring and sheets down the back. So parents, if you could uh, lead your kids down the back, grab some colouring sheets and pencils and pens, and um, if they head back with you to your seats, um, that would be awesome. So we're going to enter back into a time of worship, so if I can have, uh, get you to stand, and uh, let's just really enter in with joy and thanksgiving this morning. Yeah, let's stand to our feet. Where sin and shame are powerless 
on Santa, sing out your wish. now 
to know you is all I need Just a moment and I am free Just a moment with you Just to know you is all I want Just a moment with you Now church, we could sing that Just a moment, just to know you is all I want Just a moment is all I need Just to know you is all I need Because we know that He's got everything else covered Alright, you sure? We might need to eat food or whatever You know, we've got needs, but our primary hole in ourselves is for Jesus to fill. Yeah? Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one I heart to adore. Sing our affection. And our affection, our devotion Poured out on the feet of Jesus Our affection, our devotion Poured out on the feet of Jesus Our affection, our devotion Our devotion poured out on 
just a moment and I am free Just a moment with you Just to know, just to know you is all I want Just to know you is all I need Just a moment and I am free just a moment with you Here in your presence, here in your arms There's nothing better than knowing your love Help me to trust you more every day You hold my forever and you I will stay Worship our God. Let's put our hands in the air and worship. We'll get on your knees and worship. We'll do whatever you need to do before your God and worship. Fantastic. Well, you're looking good. 
You're sounding good. Isn't it great to be in church? It really is. You need to talk to me, church. It's really great to be in church. And congratulations to Trevor and Margaret. 50 years of wedding anniversary. Wonderful. Congratulations to you. And congratulations to Richard and Brenda on the birth of their grandchild on Sunday, the same day as our granddaughter was born. So congratulations to you guys. That's wonderful. And Liam, I've seen you this morning. Where are you, my friend? You've come back from Australia. Cutting it up over there on the sporting well. Congratulations to you. I hope you've had a great time. Let's give Liam a hand, church. Fantastic. Okay. Well, you guys are amazing. Yeah, they really are. Isn't it good to have the band back with us this weekend? It is so, so good. Thank you, guys. Well, this morning, I have a really interesting topic for you. And uh, hasn't it been great being in church this year? On the Sunday, the first Sunday of January, it's the first time I've ever been in church, because normally I've always been away with Wendy and the family, on New Year's Day. And it was wonderful to be here. And then the Sunday following, we had a wing it, a gathering, which was a lot of fun. And then last weekend, Pastor Rex preached a great message on blessing. And many of you, in fact, if not most of you, all came forward and received a blessing of God. Wasn't that a good time? And it really, really was. It was something very, very special. Well, I shared a message at the end of last year at the 6 p.m. gathering, and uh, I'm going to share it again. For those of you that were here at that time, I trust this will remind you and stir something afresh. For those of you who is your first time to hear this, I trust that it will really inspire you to go to new levels in your faith and new levels of confidence about who we are in Jesus. So um, no doubt many of us are facing significant changes. Maybe some of us are going to new places of work, maybe new uh, places of education. And I don't know about you, but I found in places of work, uh, when I was working in an industry, there would always be one or two people that weren't always particularly kind to my Christian faith. Who's found people like that, that can be rather opposing and uh, rather interesting and making life difficult for you from time to time? Well, I want to share with you some this morning some keys so that you can be really confident with your faith. So, um, <clears throat> but I want to tell you a story. This is a story about Albert Einstein. And he was on a train traveling a long, long way. And next to him was a young man. And uh, Einstein said to him, we have a long way to travel. Why don't we play a game? I'll ask you a question. If you get it right, that's cool. If you get it wrong, you pay me $50. And then you can ask me a question. If I get it right, that's cool. But if I get it wrong, I'll pay you $500. So the traveler thought about this. Thought, this is a pretty tough assignment. But he thought, okay, we'll give it a go. So Einstein said, I'll go first. So he asked this traveler, so what is the distance from the earth to the moon? And the traveller scratches his head trying to think back to school and how far is it? And he goes, I don't know, and hands over 50 bucks. So he wasn't feeling too good at that time. Anyway, the traveller asks Einstein, because it's his turn now to ask Einstein a question. He says, what goes up Mount Everest on four legs and comes back on three? And Einstein thought about this and of all the study he'd done and said, I don't know, and gave the traveller... $500. So the traveller was pretty happy. And the traveller said, well, here's, um, tell me your next question, Einstein. And Einstein said, hang on a moment. 
I want to know the answer. What goes up uh, Mount Everest on four legs and comes back on three? And the traveler thought for a moment and gave him 50 bucks. <laughs> That's a nice one, isn't it? So if we can have the PowerPoint. So the title of my message this morning is, That's a Good Question. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, That's a Good Question. Are we fine there, Rob? Okay, it's my computer. Okay. Are you able to help me there, Rob? While Rob's coming, that's a good question. And uh, so we're going to be looking at that this morning. It's a good question. And you know, people ask all sorts of questions. People can ask questions such as, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a good question. Good question. What on earth am I here for? And where did I come from? These are good questions. And if somebody asks you a question like that and you're not so sure how to answer it, you can say, that's a good question. I'm pleased you asked it. And uh, just giving yourself a little bit more time and, and uh, so we can address these things. So <clears throat> thank you. By the way, just that scene there, that's the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it beautiful? So thank you, Rob. That's a good question. So uh, Peter wrote this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This topic is called apologetics, how to give an answer. And it doesn't mean make an apology. And I don't know about you, but when I was first married, and uh, one day I had the situation where I broke one of Wendy's really, really nice china bar, uh, bowls. And I thought, oh no. She's going to be really upset. So I thought, I'll just wait for the right time to tell her. So one of my children sort of come in around the time, and before I even have a chance to say anything to Wendy, they go, Mom, Dad's broken your bowl, the really nice one. And of course, Wendy goes, why didn't you tell me? So I'm in trouble for two things, for breaking the bowl and not telling her. But apologetics is not about making apologies. It's about making a reasoned argument or defense for your faith. It comes from the Greek word called apologia, which means, apo means away, um, logia means speech, to speak away, to give an answer for your faith. And the word is used 17 or 18 times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's used in the sense to give an answer for the reason of your hope, for the reason of your faith. And Peter writes there, do this in gentleness and respect. Don't be argumentative. Don't be as though you're superior to anybody else, but with gentleness. Appreciate the level that people are at and do it with respect. Appreciate where their, their, their opportunity to make their own choices. But likewise, present the truth in love. And so this is what Peter encourages us to do. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you're talking an assessment of how well am I able to give a defense or a reasoned defense of my faith, 
what would you say? You'd say, yeah, I'm really, really well prepared, or gee, I'm not too sure how to respond. So apologetics is a defense of the Christian faith. This is what Nancy uh, Pearcy said. She's a writer, a very well-known Christian author in the U.S., she says, learning critical thinking is important not only for speaking to people outside the church, but also for educating people on the inside. I think there's a lot of people in the church today, maybe you feel like this, that you go, I'm just not sure how to share my Christian faith and why I believe about it. And the outcome of that sort of approach is people can walk around with their heads low and being a little bit ashamed of their Christian faith rather than being strong and bold, knowing why they believe and having confidence in why they believe. Because God wants us to be a confident people that know why we believe in Christ. And I want to encourage you today as you leave this place, you can hold your head high and go, I know why I'm a believer and I am not ashamed of my faith. And I will stand and share my view with anybody because it is the best view that anybody can possibly have. It is better than humanism. It is better than secularism. There is nothing that can compare with the Christian world view. And if we can do that this morning, I will be absolutely delighted. So that's very, very cool. So Jesus has a lot to say about what we believe and how we believe. And uh, some people can post questions, if you like, and, and share their difficulties of faith with one another. And some in the church can say, well, don't think about it, just believe. But what does Jesus say about faith? Jesus says faith and belief is really, really powerful. But you may be surprised, Jesus says believe based on evidence. The Christian faith is based on the best evidence you could possibly have. And so our faith is just not just believe something because somebody said it. Our faith is based on belief because of the evidence that God has provided. Thomas struggled with evidence, and we can read about that. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's have a look at John chapter 20 and verse 24. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of points from the Scripture to them. You know the story. There is uh, Thomas. Uh, um, with the disciples, and Jesus appears to the disciples, all of them except Thomas is not there. And Thomas says to the disciples, unless I see Jesus with my own eyes, I won't believe. And it's really, really interesting in John chapter 20, verse 24, through that portion of, of Scripture there, the disciples say, we have seen Jesus. But Thomas doesn't accept that evidence. He says, unless I see with my own eyes, then I will believe. And I love the way that Jesus treats the inquiry of Thomas. He doesn't push him aside. He goes, I love your inquiry for truth, Thomas. I love it. I love that you're seeking to find the evidence. I love that you're seeking for the truth. So here are all the disciples a week later gathered in a room that is behind closed doors. And Jesus knows that Thomas is there. And he walks into the environment and he says to Thomas, put your hands into my finger holes and into the side of my hands. He's saying, Thomas, here's the evidence. Blessed are those who believe without seeing, but Jesus doesn't turn away his search for the truth. He doesn't turn away his search for the evidence. The same thing we can take further. 
in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, and this is a man who's come with his son who uh, is tormented by an evil spirit, who couldn't speak, and he says, uh, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Don't you love that? I do believe, but I'm struggling with doubt. I'm all perplexed about this. And Jesus doesn't go, well, until you sort out this question, I'm not going to do anything. Jesus heals and delivers this boy and embraces this man. And I'm sure that man would have been, thank you, Jesus, for not rejecting me as I struggled with faith, but embracing me and blessing my family and healing my son. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. And then Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 12, verses 37, even after Jesus had performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. Isn't that interesting? Seen all the evidence of Jesus at work, and yet people choose not to believe. Jesus says, I respect that, but I so long for you to place your faith in me. In John chapter 10, uh, verse 38, he says, But if you do not, um, uh, but if you, uh, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is saying, I've multiplied bread, I've raised the dead. I've set the, the, the oppressed free. Those that had leprosy are totally healed. Believe me for this evidence. Believe me for these works. And there are some who choose not even after that to believe. But God even takes the evidence further in, in uh, Exodus chapter 14, uh, verse 31 we read, And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Isn't it amazing? All this evidence, and these people are responding with faith, and some aren't responding with faith. But God puts his greatest display for everybody to see, and it's called general revelation. And we can read about it in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. And this is creation. And it says, They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So God says, I have made it all. This is not an accident. This just didn't happen by chance. There is meaning. There is purpose behind it. I'm going to play for you now a video. It's about five minutes long. Uh, it's got a couple of scientific terms in there. One of them is gravity. We all know what gravity is. It holds us to the earth. But then it's got another one called electromagnet. Uh, electromagnetism force, and that's about electricity and, and mag, mag, magnetism. And then there's what they call the weak and strong nuclear force. And so I don't want you being worrying about these things, but they're just there, just so you know, if those forces weren't in place, the sun wouldn't be like it is. The sun would have burned up a long time ago. But I'm going to ask Kat if she can play this video, and I think you'll enjoy it. In 1966, Time magazine ran a cover story asking, Is God Dead? The cover reflected the fact that many people had accepted the cultural narrative that God is obsolete, 
that as science progresses, there's less need for a God to explain the universe. It turns out, though, that the rumors of God's death were premature. In fact, perhaps the best arguments for his existence come from, of all places, science itself. Here's the story. The same year Time featured its now famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two necessary criteria for a planet to support life, the right kind of star and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, that's one followed by 24 zeros, there should have been about septillion planets, that's one followed by 21 zeros, capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, scientists were optimistic that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, known by its initials SETI, an ambitious project launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up something soon. With a vast radio telescopic network, scientists listened for signals that resembled coded intelligence. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe was deafening. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bubkis, nada, zilch, which is to say zero followed by an infinite number of zeros. What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were, in fact, far more factors necessary for life, let alone intelligent life, than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, then 20, and then 50, which meant that the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem. Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece for Skeptical Inquirer, a magazine that strongly affirms atheism, in light of new findings and insights, we should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For example, without a massive, gravity-rich planet like Jupiter nearby to draw away asteroids, Earth would be more like an interstellar dartboard than the verdant orb that it is. Simply put, the odds against life in the universe are astonishing. Yet, here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfectly met by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that it is science itself that suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions in fact require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds? But wait, there's more. The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces, gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces, were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one of these four values ever so slightly, and the universe as we know it could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest inconceivable fraction, then no stars could have formed at all. 
Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. I don't think so. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. One of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. Even the late Christopher Hitchens, one of atheism's most aggressive proponents, conceded that without question the fine-tuning argument was the most powerful argument of the other side. Oxford University professor of mathematics, Dr. John Lennox, has said, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all time is the universe. It is the miracle of all miracles, one that inescapably points to something or someone beyond itself. I'm Eric Metaxas for Prager University. Isn't that interesting? Do you know the Earth goes around the sun, as we know, once a year? Each year it goes around. It's only different from the previous year by less than a thousandth of a second. Isn't that amazing? God has created an amazing universe there for everybody to see. And I think it's absolutely staggering. Nancy uh, Piercy, who we heard from before, I'll, I'll just, this is what she said. A mind capable of forming an argument against God's existence constitutes evidence for his own existence. That is, a conscious being with the ability to reason, weigh evidence, and argue logically must come from a source that has at least the same level of cognitive ability. Ravi Zacharias, he said this, people are searching for things. The answers to origin, meaning, morality, what is right and wrong, and destiny. Origin, where did I come from? Meaning, what is the meaning of life? And for believers, the meaning of life is to love God and love one another. And I think that is fantastic. Morality, what is right and wrong, and destiny. And the Christian worldview is the only worldview that can answer those questions. There is no other worldview, no other faith, that can clearly answer those questions. And that's such a strong and positive position for us to live our Christian faith. And so I want to encourage you, church, that when questions are asked of your faith, is to hold your head high because we're in a place of knowing from Scripture and the evidence that's been provided, that God has provided Himself, that those questions can be answered according to his word. I'm going to share this story with you. When I was 18 years of, of, um, old, I was invited to my cousin's wedding. And before I went, I, I said a prayer. Lord, please give me the opportunity to share my faith with somebody. And through the evening, my cousin's um, wife, uh, her father invited me out to go for a bit of a stroll. And I thought, yeah, sure. He was a principal of a school, a high school. He was a very strong, sort of scary person, I would say. And as we were walking out in the yard, he said, I don't get it. 
This world is an absolute mess. Where is the answer? And I thought, oh my dear. Oh my goodness. Lord, why did you have to create this moment with this person? Surely it could have been with somebody else, but why him? And uh, rather than saying, that's a good question, that's a really good question, I can tell you the answers to these four issues of finding origin, meaning, and morality, and destiny, and it's in faith in Christ. Rather than saying that, do you know what I said? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And I went away really, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I am so sorry. But I'll tell you this other time, somebody asked me, what is the meaning of all of this? And I said, that's a good question, let me tell you. So we went to a whiteboard and we wrote these things up. And uh, what's really, really interesting with all of this stuff is that the Lord asked a really good question of himself. Where are you? He asked the question of Adam and Eve. He wasn't asking for their GPS. He wasn't trying to play hide and go seek with them. He knew where they were physically. But what he was saying is, where is our spiritual connection? It's gone. We had this wonderful relationship. You had no fear, no shame, uh, no problem about approaching me at all. And it's gone. The light's gone out. And this is what Adam and Eve respond with. I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid. I was afraid. I was naked. And today people are still hiding from God. But I don't think they're afraid of God. And I don't think they're really worried about their shame or nakedness before God. It's really interesting what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea in Revelations chapter 3. He says, you say, and this is to the church, I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. Isn't it amazing? The world has long gone past being, carrying its sense of fear or being ashamed. But the church, Jesus says it's naked. God doesn't want us to hide our faith. He doesn't want it put under a bushel. He wants us, if you like, to be proud in a warm sense. And I want to encourage us, church, today, that like the Apostle Paul, we can declare, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of it. Because I know it has the answers to life. There is no better message. There is no better faith to build one's life upon than the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage us to be a people, and I declare upon us today that shame be gone, fear be gone in Jesus' name. And we can anchor ourselves on the rock Christ Jesus and know that I am not ashamed of my faith. It is the answers. And when people answer or ask a question, I can say, that's a good question. I'm so pleased you asked it. And away you can go with an answer. That is shared respectfully and gently. So God asked a good question, where are you? 
Jesus asks a good question. Who do they say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, 13, we read, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't say, or Jesus says some flesh and uh, blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And one of the things when I was in Galilee that came to me about this verse, because we went to the place where this uh, verse, uh, where Jesus spoke these things, and it was amazing. And uh, Peter said, you are the Messiah. The stumbling block for whether we believe Jesus is the Messiah or not is not Gentile people, it's the Jewish people. Today they still argue, is Jesus the Messiah? But the stumbling block for Gentile people is not whether or Jesus is the Messiah, it is whether God is alive or not. And Jesus, or Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we're going to conclude with this. And uh, this is, um, we'll finish on this, this slide here. It's about seven minutes long. This is an answer where a, a woman comes to Ravi Zechariah and asks a question. She's really unsure about uh, the Christian faith. She's an atheist or represented it here as an atheist friend. So, yeah, have a listen of how he answers. Thanks very much, Kat. closest friends is an atheist and I've asked her why she is and she told me that she's read the doctrines of many theologies including Christianity and as soon as she got to the part in the Bible where she read about Adam and Eve and they said or it said that woman shall suffer the pain of childbirth for the sin of Eve she told me, I stopped reading because I refuse to believe in something that doesn't believe in me. What would be your response to her? Okay. When a person rejects a certain worldview, you have to respect, if they're being honest, why they reject it. And if I were sitting across a table with her, I would think she's a woman with a tender conscience, a woman who has personal worth, and a woman who says, if this is the way I'm described, there's no place for me here. So, if her deduction is correct, one can validate the objection. But if the, discussion, if the deduction is incorrect, then she has to change her view. First, she has to know what it is she has adopted while she has rejected something else. I remember I was speaking at um, um, the Center for Geopolitical Strategy in Russia, full of atheists, full of atheists. And uh, God gave me the privilege, actually, of seeing the general come to Christ. So he invited me to speak there, but he says, they'll be pretty hostile. And they sure were. They were going like this the whole time I was talking. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and at the, um, well, the Q&A time, one guy, the fellow kept going like this, shot his arm up in the air and stood up, and he said, you've been talking about God the whole time. He said, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the question logically to answer him was, are you an atheist? Yes. What is it you're denying? What is it you're denying? So when a woman or a man says they are denying the existence of God, 
what are they affirming in its place? She is actually affirming that this God or religion is not true. Atheism is. But if atheism is true, she has no value. If atheism is true, there's not even a point of reference for her worth. We are the product of primordial slime. Time plus matter plus chance, the accidental collocation of atoms, here we are. A blip on the radar screen, a screen of time. That's exactly what Bertrand Russell said. That this whole edifice is doomed to extinction. We are here by cosmic accident. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is, first she reduces her own worth to nothing but material. Secondly, she's making a moral judgment. But in an amoral universe, how do you invoke a moral judgment? If this is a naturalistic framework, why is it morally wrong for God to say you're not of any worth? But it's because she's invoking a moral law and she's invoking worth, which basically tells me she's actually borrowing from the Judeo-Christian worldview in order to debunk it. <laughs> All right, now here's the point. You never take a word out of context. You always put it in its larger context. You know, when Jesus saw the woman who was taken in adultery, he really let him have it. Where's the man? Where are her accusers? The guys never brought the man. He was gone somewhere. She obviously didn't commit adultery with herself. <laughs> you were living at a time in a culture then where this kind of thing happened so often. He writes some letters in the sand and he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The woman with the alabaster ointment, in that culture, for her to have even touched him was audacious. And yet, the Pharisees sitting there said, if Jesus only knew who this woman was, he would not have had her have any part in him. And he said to them, you know, guys, what she has done to me is going to be told all over the world where the gospel is preached. And he received her gift. When I was in Albania last year, they sat me down in the museum and brought the Greek translation of Chrysostom of the New Testament. And I looked at the passage where this woman with the alabaster ointment had poured it on Jesus. Her story is told where the gospel is all over the world. When he revealed himself in the resurrection, he went completely against the climate and the culture of the time. He revealed himself first to the women who had come to the tomb, whose testimony was not even valuable in court at that time. So if you see the special place he gives to womanhood and the glory that he has crowned, the charm and the mystique of womanhood is both in its intellect and in its mystique. Today, if you were to take women writers, they touch the nerve of reality much better often than men did. I think of people like, uh, women like uh, Dorothy Sears and all of them. Brilliant, brilliant writers. What has happened, unfortunately, is the way our cultures have oppressed, always find somebody to oppress. And as a result, we read that verse in a vacuum and we don't read it all the way, the rest of the way. When you see him highlighting People like Sarah, people like Ruth, people like Deborah, 
and in the New Testament you see the names of Phoebe and the names of Mary and all writ large you see that he tells a man to love a woman the way Christ loved the church that is the greatest compliment he ever paid you or me that you were as valuable and you are as valuable as humanity is to him. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. The Apostle Paul writes, so tell her, please don't read that out of context. Read the whole thing. Your reaction would be right if that's all that it's, uh, what it says there is this. Remember, where there is a plurality of the miracle in physical acts, there is also a plurality of judgment in physical expression. You will see this in Exodus, you'll see this in Genesis, where there's dramatic miracles, there are dramatic judgments as well. And that sin has a cost, and we always remember through this from whence we came. And the glory is through the seed of that woman. He was going to bring the Redeemer ultimately. And I think that is what grace is all about. She should not read it in a vacuum. Tell her to take a good look at Christ and see his treatment of women. And I think she'll find out that there is no other worldview again, I repeat, no other worldview that gives the respect to womanhood that Jesus does. Okay. Isn't that great? Absolutely wonderful. So we're going to wrap up on the verse that we first started with. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So church, are you ready for your assignment? Be ready to give an answer. You have nothing to be ashamed of. No fear to walk under, but the empowerment and grace of the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus whenever, wherever. Isn't that exciting? That is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So I pray God's richest blessing as you prepare yourselves and shape yourselves, knowing that there is no better worldview than living for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to invite Caleb to come very, very shortly. Before we do that, immediately after the gathering, we have, um, it's wonderful to have the Taylor family with us today. The girls are going to be water baptized, so we invite family and friends to gather for that. So we'll take a few moments to do that. But thank you, Caleb. Excellent. Let's give Pastor Ray a massive hand. Thank you for the message, Ray. That was excellent. And I hope we can really apply that throughout the week and the weeks ahead um, about us answering questions that people have around us and not being ashamed of the gospel. So a few things to make you aware of. Um, So visitors, so we hope you've had a wonderful time here at Activate Church. And as you leave um, on the right-hand side, we've got a little visitors area. So make sure you visit that, um, and we'd love to talk a few more about our church. Um, Church, if we can be purposed in our giving. So we have giving stations at the left-hand side of both sets of doors, and I thank you for your generosity. And if you'd also like to receive prayer for anything, um, I'd like to invite you at the end of the gathering to come forward, and our prayer team would be... I'm happy to pray with you and stand with you in prayer for anything that you may have. And as Ray mentioned, we've got a couple of baptisms after, which is going to be very exciting. Um, So we're going to to have a a song to finish, 
and then we're just going to clear the stage and just prepare that pool. Um, so if you give us um, a few minutes to do that, so if you're, if you're waiting around um, for the baptism, maybe grab a, um, a coffee or tea out in the foyer and then just come back in and we'll commence the baptism. So thank you very much, church. It's been wonderful to have you here and let's celebrate with a song to close. Thanks, guys. All right, let's stand to our feet. Let's uh, sing some reasons, eh? It was a great sermon. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Let's start with your rich in love. You ready? You're rich. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to Oh